Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. So go ahead and read along with me in your Bibles, verses 16 to 18. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word, for the promises that it assures us of, that it reveals you to us. We do pray that you would open our eyes to see wondrous things out of it this morning. Please encourage us. Please shape us. Please mold us. Please speak to us. Amen. In almost every aspect of our lives, there's more than first meets the eye. And an athlete who maybe doesn't measure up physically but always finds a way to win, there's more than meets the eye. Sometimes it's in a book that we've read many times over and over, and it just gets better every single time. There's more than first meets the eye. Sometimes it's in a job candidate who, although their resume isn't quite as good as the other applicants, they just have that it factor. There's more than meets the eye. There are often layers beyond what we can see in pretty much every part of our lives. Even in the Christian faith itself, it requires that we actually see and trust and believe in unseen realities. But sometimes this gets very hard to square with what we see around us, doesn't it? We see things on an everyday basis, suffering, affliction, trial, difficulty, especially in the current situation that we live right now in the midst of a global pandemic. There's suffering and affliction far beyond what we normally see. Not only that, but on on top, it's all the things that aren't COVID-related as well that have always been there that we encounter, that we face on a daily basis. The trial, the difficulty, the affliction, the suffering. And when we look around at everything we can see going on around us, inside of us it oftentimes feels natural to ask, is all of this just meaningless? Is all of this just purposeless? Is all of this suffering just pointless? Or is there more than first meets the eye? 2 Corinthians four sixteen to 18 reminds us that there is indeed more than we can see, that God is at work in ways that we cannot see, even in and especially in the midst of suffering. It says, we do not lose heart. What does this mean? Why can we say that even in the midst of suffering, we do not lose heart? And then how does this become a reality in our lives? There's a what, why, how logic to this passage that shows us that we do not lose heart because our suffering is not pointless. God is at work in the midst of it. There's more than first meets the eye. 
And this happens by looking to the things that we cannot see. So what does Paul mean when he says, do not lose heart? To go deeper into this, it's helpful for us to look back over uh, to what Paul has been talking about over the course of chapter 4. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and keep it open to 2 Corinthians 4 as we look through it. In this chapter, Paul is talking about the challenges that he has faced in his apostolic ministry, and certainly he had many of them. In verse 1, though, he says, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. He does not lose hope. He, he didn't despair because of what God was doing through him. And that's what these verses bear out. His ministry was given to him by the mercy of God. When he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, God's mercy washed over him and gave him this ministry to the nations. His ministry was given by God's mercy and, will, and God will continue to uphold him by his mercy This ministry that was given to him was to preach the gospel. God was at work through him. And as he puts it in verse 6, his ministry was to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This message of the gospel, a priceless treasure, but as Paul puts it in verse 7, is held in a jar of clay. Earthenware vessels were cheap and easily broken and shattered. And Paul describes himself as a very, one of those very clay jars in verses 8 to 12. Afflicted in every way, struck down, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. And easily broken and battered and smashed. Broken clay jar. But even in the midst of all of this, Paul does not lose heart. Even though there were a million reasons for Paul to just give up, to stop trusting God, he persevered. And why not? He says in verse 15, it is all for your sake. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. No matter how bad the affliction was, Paul knew that God was working through him to bring the light of the gospel to others. And so as we come to verses 16 to 18, Paul sums up this past chapter, but then opens it up to us as well. Yes, God works through us sometimes in the midst of our suffering to, to scream the truths of the gospel out for all to hear. But he also works in us. And this is the reality that these verses say. And so... As, he, as Paul opens this up to all of us again, he says, so we do not lose heart. Yes, God is working through him in his suffering, but God is also at work in him in suffering. And this is the focus of these verses. We do not lose heart because God is at work in us. So we reject despair. We have a determined perseverance. We do not give up. Even when everything inside of us screams to just give it up, to throw away our confidence in God, we cling to our faith, we do not lose heart. There aren't many sports games to watch on TV right now, but I'm sure at some point you've been watching a game where one team just starts to run away with it. It's those kinds of games where 
seems like nothing can stop that team from winning. Even mistakes or errors seem to turn out for their good, and oftentimes the losing team just shuts down, turns off, and gets beat handily. But every now and then, the team that is losing never gives up hope, and those are the best games to watch, aren't they? Those are the best games to watch because even in the midst of the worst of odds, the team that's down continues to hold on to that sliver of hope that they just might mount a comeback. They do not lose heart. And this is what it means, that as slim as the odds may seem that this will turn out for our good, as much as it would seem to make sense just to give up, you hold on to your hope. You do not give up. You you reject despair and you continue to trust the Lord, you do not lose heart. Yes, we all have questions and doubts some of the time, and surely Paul did too, and you you get the sense from these verses that they're clearly spoken from experience. There, There must have been a million times when Paul was tempted to lose heart. These verses are spoken by someone who has been there, These verses are not a slap on the hand for the moments when we experience those those doubts, those questions. No, they're a push from behind. Do not lose heart. Don't give up. Even when it gets hard, we do not lose heart. So we do not lose heart, but, but why? Why is it the case that even in the midst of suffering and affliction, we can stand firm in our faith? Verses 16 and 17 show us why we do not lose heart. It's because your suffering is not pointless. God's doing something through it. It says, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It's contrasted, the outer self and the inner self, the one is wasting away and the other is being renewed. What these verses are not doing is trying to make a distinction between body and soul like many of the Greek philosophers of the time would have. It's not as if our body is decaying and our soul will live on forever outside of our body. No, the Bible teaches that we are embodied people, both in the here and now and for forever. And Paul even talks about believers being resurrected just before this in verse 14. No, he can't be talking about someone uh, not having a body. Both of these, the outer self and the inner self, are all inclusive. They both have to do with the whole person. The outer self is really our status in the first Adam. And the inner self is our status in the second Adam, who is Christ. This outer person belongs to the present age, this age that we currently live in that's marked by sin and death and decay. The inner person belongs to the age that is to come, the age that we cannot yet see but surely does exist, the age that is to come that is characterized by renewal, renewal through the Holy Spirit. Outwardly, we're wasting away. We're jars of clay, from verse 7. We're afflicted, perplexed, and struck down, as verses 8 and 9 say. We are carrying in the body the death of Jesus, as it says in verse 10, wasting away. We all experience these things, don't we? Aging and the decline of our bodies show it. Sometimes it's sickness that 
brings us to our knees. It might be the anxiety that we face in light of the uncertainties that we, we have in the midst of this pandemic. We all face this kind of decay, this wasting away. So why is it that we cannot lose heart? It's because we know that God is working in us. He's doing something inside of us in that suffering. And for the Christian, the reality of wasting away is accompanied by a process of renewal. It's, it's something that happens day by day. It's that the age that is to come, the glory of God, these heavenly realities have infiltrated the present and the Christian can experience those things even in the here and now. It's a progressive process that happens little by little, more and more from the moment of conversion until the, the day that we see God face to face. It's a growing knowledge of God, an increasing communion with him, a deepening faith, a growth in holiness. 2 Corinthians 5.17 puts it, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The outer self and the inner self but also compared as this light momentary affliction and an eternal weight of glory. This glory is being in the very presence of God, beholding him face to face. It's the new creation that God is preparing for his children, the glorious age that is to come. And this glory is weighty. It has a fullness to it that is so great that it is immeasurable. It's also eternal. It will never end. The eternal weight of glory that God has in store for his children is a weighty glory that will last forever. In contrast, though, the affliction of this world is light and momentary. It's not trying to downplay the reality of of the suffering that we face. Paul surely knew what it meant to suffer. Even just a few chapters after this one, in chapter 11, he, he catalogs out all of the different sufferings that he faced. He was beaten, bruised, stoned, shipwrecked, in constant danger. He experienced toil and hardship. He went hungry and thirsty. He was often exposed to the elements. And on top of all that, he even talks about the anxiety that he had of the ministry to the many churches that he served. Oh yes, Paul knew what it meant to suffer. And he's not playing mind games here either. It's not as if we just think a different way about suffering and it all goes away. No, suffering and affliction are real. What you're experiencing is real. But as difficult, as challenging, as painful as your suffering is, it is only momentary and light when you compare it with how great and majestic and beautiful this eternal weight of glory is. Even though your suffering is great and awful and wastes you away, the glory that awaits the Christian is so much better. But not only that, the, the crux of this is that the very sufferings we face are in fact readying us for that glory. 
It's not that suffering in and of itself somehow creates or earns glory for us. Rather, it's, it's that the suffering we experience causes us to set our eyes on the things that are to come more and more and more. The evil that causes suffering does not neutralize God's purposes or goodness. No, suffering is not any sort of evidence that God's plans have been thwarted. Remember the promise of Romans 8.28, that great promise that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. We may not see it in the here and now, but God is at work in us. He's at work through your suffering. He's at work in the midst of your suffering. He's at work to prepare you for glory. When I was younger, I struggled a lot with asthma. And to be honest, I don't have many negative memories about it. But one thing I do remember is that there were several times when I needed to take a steroid supplement to strengthen my respiratory system. I was young enough that I couldn't swallow pills, and so I needed to take an uncoated tablet that got chopped up and had to take it that way. And I remember how very bitter it was in my mouth. I've never tasted anything so bitter in my life, and we tried everything to make it a little bit better, putting it in yogurt or applesauce to make it go down a little bit easier. It didn't work. I've never tasted anything so very bitter in my life. But I knew, even at that young age, that even though it went down bitterly, it was doing something internally. Perhaps you're in the midst of the bitter realities of suffering right now, even today. Sickness and disease. Maybe it's being cut down or chastised for your faith by a coworker or a neighbor or a friend or even a family member. Maybe the isolation that COVID has brought with it has you wrestling more than ever with anxiety or depression. Do not lose heart. Know that even though your outer self is wasting away, your inner self is being renewed. Your suffering is not pointless. Yes, it it does go down bitterly, but it's doing something for you inside. This light, momentary affliction is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory. So do not lose heart. Such is the way of the kingdom of God. Suffering comes before glory. The cross comes before the crown. But remember this. We do not walk a path that our Savior has not walked before us. He knew what it meant to suffer and he walked that road for us. He suffered affliction so that we might have comfort. He went through rejection so that we could be accepted. Because of his death, we have received life. And as Romans 8.17 reminds us, if we suffer with him, we will be glorified with him. I want to know Christ, Paul says in Philippians 3. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Do you know Christ? Do you know what it means to have the resurrection life that comes from knowing him? Have you experienced that spiritual renewal 
Do you know what it means to have hope in the midst of suffering? Jesus suffered and died for you. And he rose from the dead for you. And his arms are wide open. He forgives your sins. He gives you new life. And he promises you eternal glory. Oh, would you come to Jesus and fall at his feet and give your life to him? This is a savior who suffered for you, who bled for you, who died for you. And he offers himself to you. Would you accept the resurrection life that he offers this morning? For those in Christ, suffering is not pointless. It's not meaningless. It's not purposeless. It's preparing for us glory. So Christian, do not lose heart. So how does this all happen? If what we're supposed to do is not lose heart and why this is the case is because our suffering is not pointless, then how does it happen? We look not to what is seen, but to what is unseen. Verse 18 says, As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Our affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory as we look to the unseen things. The very way that this renewal and preparation for glory happens is by not looking to the things that we can see, but by looking to the things that we can't see. The things that are seen are the visible realities that we see in everyday life. It's the suffering we, we face the afflictions we're going through, the wasting away of our bodies, the jars of clay that we are. These are things we can see, and how easy is it to focus on these things? To let them take over our vision and to let them be the only thing that we see and believe and trust in. But these are things that are transient. They're temporary. They're passing away. They won't last. They won't stand the test of time. On the other hand, though, there are unseen things, and these are really things that are not yet seen. They do indeed exist. We just don't see them yet. The Holy Spirit's presence in us, the renewal we experience because of that, the life we have in Christ, the glory that is to come. These things are eternal. They won't break down. They won't pass away. They will last forever. These are things that we can trust in. And when we look at these unseen things, we begin to believe more and more in the promise of eternal glory and we begin to experience more and more this renewal that comes through the Holy Spirit. We can't necessarily see it with our eyes, but it does indeed exist. We cannot yet see them, but one day we will. Metamorphosis is, of course, the process by which a lowly caterpillar becomes a butterfly. When the caterpillar is enclosed in the cocoon, you can't see what's going on. In fact, if you didn't know what was happening, you would assume that this caterpillar has just shriveled up and died and that was that. But what you can't see 
is that inside this dark, tight enclosure of the cocoon, a new creature is being formed. And little by little, more and more, inside that dark, tight cocoon, the caterpillar is being made new into a beautiful butterfly that will one day come out of that cocoon. Don't look just at what you can see. If the diagnosis comes back grim, if sometime in the future we have to go back into a tighter form of lockdown than we ever have before, if relationships with friends and family are tougher than they ever have been, when you get furloughed from your job, if you have a prodigal son or daughter, don't look just to what is seen. Do not lose heart. Pour over the promises of God in the Bible. Read them. Meditate on them. Memorize them. Preach them to yourself. Pray through them. Get on the phone with a Christian brother or sister and remind each other of the wonderful hope that we have in Jesus. Cry out to God in prayer and fall before him on your knees. Continue to meet for fellowship and worship with other Christians, maybe in a small group or with a group of friends for Bible study or for worship services on Sunday mornings, either in person or online. Look to the things that are unseen. Looking to the unseen things grows our confidence that God's promises are sure. When God promises glory, he will follow through. Looking to the unseen things also grows our hope of heaven. He will one day wipe away every tear. Looking to the unseen things gives us deep comfort that God has not forgotten us in our affliction. No, the dark comes before the dawn and he has not forgotten you. Looking to the unseen things grows our resolve to not give up our hope, to not give up our faith, and to trust and believe that God cares for us. We look to the things that are unseen and we trust him and we give ourselves over to his care and we know and trust and believe that he is indeed at work in us. So, Christian, we do not lose heart. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we do not lose heart because we know that you're at work in us. And we, we, we trust, even though sometimes it's hard to see what you're doing, that you are at work in us and through us. Oh Lord, please comfort us in the trials we face. For those who are experiencing difficulties beyond what they could have imagined, please give them your peace and comfort. Lord, for those who are wrestling with uncertainties and anxieties, please be with them. And for all of us, Lord, please grow a resolve to not lose heart and to look at what you're doing, even though we can't yet see it, but to trust more and more that you are indeed at work. Lord, thank you for the promise of eternal glory that we have. Thank you that we can trust you. Thank you for who you are and for everything you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen.